You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, the podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps, I'm delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. We fret about things over which we have no control. Over Christmas here, there were people fretting about the weather. They were more than fretting. They were annoyed. They were frustrated. They were angry, angry with the weather because they'd paid to ski and there wasn't enough snow to ski. What they didn't realize was that in fretting over things over which we have no control, we forget that we can influence everything by taking control of the one and only thing over which we can exert complete control, our own state of mind. People often fret about making the right impression when, for example, they're making a presentation to a prospective client, for example. Parents should fret, although they shouldn't, but you know what I mean. They should concern themselves with how they behave in front of their very young children, because generally speaking, parents, in making little throwaway remarks to their children, will inhibit their children for the rest of their lives. If you're fretting about making the right impression, you're going to make no impression at all. You might possibly make a bad impression, but the fact that you haven't turned up to the here and now because you're buried in your mind worrying about whether or not you're making the right impression is going to leave no impression on those around you. Somebody who is marked absent doesn't even leave a shadow. I recollect a conversation with a team of project managers with whom I was working in the US, oh, it's probably five or six years ago at this stage, we were doing it by Zoom. And over the three or four sessions, we spent quite a bit of time, not just talking about taking control of your own state of mind, but actually, and obviously, how to do it. Now, I mentioned that this team of people with whom I was working were all project managers. That, at the best of times, is a very difficult job, because generally speaking, if you're leading a project, you don't have executive authority over many of the people involved in delivering the project. In other words, you can't tell them what to do. Very often, because you're dealing with normal crazy people, it's like herding cats. But all you can do is influence them to ensure that they do what they've committed to do so that the project moves along in the right direction. It'll never go in the planned direction, we've talked about planning before, but so that it moves in the right direction with least effort. Along came session four, and one of the guys in that team said that he had made a presentation as leader of a project to a group of people with whom he had been having great difficulty over the preceding 18 months. Now, before we go any further, imagine the frustration of that. The flow research from the University of Chicago tells us 
that one of the key things that will enable us encourage ourselves to move forward is that we can see and embrace the fruits of our labors. In other words, we can give ourselves a pat on the back. Imagine being a project manager working for 18 months on something and you can see no fruits of any labor, even though a lot of labor has been involved. This guy, when I talked to him first, was very, very frustrated. In fact, I think the whole team was very frustrated. But he said the previous day he had made this presentation to this particularly difficult group of headless chickens. And lo and behold, at the end of his presentation, they'd found their heads, they'd screwed their heads on, they were galvanized into action. His message, to quote him, had landed and it had landed perfectly. He said, I'll tell you what the difference was. He said, normally for a presentation like that, I would prepare meticulously, I'd over-prepare. He said, and then I'd go into the presentation and get nervous and all my preparation would become garbled in the way in which I delivered my message. There was I worried about trying to get my message to land when I wasn't even firing off my message in the right direction at all. He said, yesterday. He said, I did my preparation, my meticulous preparation, as usual. He said, but I added in something else, mental preparation. Or what in this part of the world the French would call préparation mentale. I did my mental preparation, he said. I did a short meditation for a couple of minutes before the meeting started. I got up and I amazed myself. I almost shocked myself. He said, it's like as if I was standing there. My body was a vessel through which my message was being delivered effortlessly. Everybody got the message. Everybody embraced what we needed to do. And everything turned out completely different to any experience I've ever had in making a presentation before. What was the difference? Well, he used to worry about controlling other people. Think about the madness of that for a moment when even other people aren't in control of themselves. He used to fret about things over which he had no control. And it had completely slipped his mind. In fact, he didn't even understand that he could control his own state of mind and in doing so, greatly influence the things and people over which we can exert no control. This is exceedingly important. People spend their lives tearing their hair out, worrying about things they can't control. Things, events, people that would turn out completely differently if they just turned up with their head screwed on in control of their own state of mind and did what it takes to influence events influence other people. Obviously, when we tie ourselves in knots, worrying about things that we can't control, we then try to do what we have to do through the knots in which we've tied ourselves. Our energy won't flow if we're tied in knots. And I actually mean that literally, by the way, 
the energy flows through our body along what acupuncturists would call meridians, energy meridians, what the University of Seoul in South Korea would call the primovascular system, the actual physical system along which our body's energy travels. If you're tied in knots, if you're tied in knots in your head, you're going to be tied in knots in your body and you're simply not going to be there. By virtue of the fact that we do tie ourselves in knots through, for example, worrying about things over which we have no control, none of our energy gets out into the outside world. It's tied up in knots within us. Now, you know, as well as I do, what the problem is. The problem is thinking. Worrying is just a form of thinking. Being frustrated, just the result of too much thinking. Fretting, classic example of thinking. Getting anxious, getting annoyed, all come from thought. Now, therefore, when my friend stood up in front of that project group in the past, he was simply thinking too much. As I said to him at the time, and as I said to somebody else a few days ago, all thinking leads to overthinking. And overthinking will always, always, always take you away from the events and the people over whom you are trying to have some influence, with whom you are trying to make an impression. Let me put it a more fundamental way. People who are annoyed and frustrated are at its most basic level annoyed and frustrated with themselves because all thinking leads to overthinking. We know from previous conversations that we have 70,000 thoughts whizzing through our head every waking day. That's not every 24 hours. It's every moment that you are physically awake. Obviously, you're mentally dead to the world. But every moment that you are physically awake, there are these thoughts whizzing through your head. The foundational thoughts on which all those thoughts are based are the stuff that we learned about ourselves when we were young and impressionable. That's why I made the point earlier on about parents concerning themselves with behaving themselves properly in front of their young children. Because what the young children pick up as a result of normal crazy parents' misbehavior is going to inhibit them at best for the rest of their lives. It could destroy the rest of their lives, obviously, until they realize that they can take control over their state of mind. So in other words, if you're annoyed or frustrated, fundamentally, and you may not be aware of it because very often or mostly it is a subconscious thing, you're annoyed and frustrated with yourself. You're annoyed and frustrated, more to the point, with who you think you are, warts and all. You're annoyed and frustrated with your perceived inadequacies. You're annoyed and frustrated with the person that you think you are. Beautifully described by cognitive psychology as the conceptual self. A bundle of concepts, a bundle of thoughts. A bundle of thoughts that were branded onto your subconscious particularly during the third year of your life. They're imprinted, they're embedded, and they are, I was going to say, running the show on a daily basis. No, they are ruining the show on a daily basis. What a difference an eye makes. 
Oh, now, isn't that an interesting proposition? What a difference I could make if I stopped thinking about me, if I could stop thinking about who I think I am. Suddenly, rather than struggling to make a presentation, I would make a presentation effortlessly. Quote, unquote, it would be like my body is a vessel and somewhere deep inside is delivering my message so that it lands perfectly and so that I do the job effortlessly. Effortlessly isn't just a word that I love. It isn't just a word that I bandy about freely. It's a scientific fact. That's why I use it so much, because, and listen to me carefully, anybody can go about their daily lives effortlessly. And in going about their daily lives effortlessly, they transform their ordinary everyday life into an extraordinary flow of nows in which they do just what they need to do and no more, in which they say what they need to say and avoid saying what they shouldn't say. In other words, they know when to keep their mouth shut because they are present because they are, their body is, an energetic vessel through which they deliver the right things in the right way at the right time. Let's tease this apart. Effort comes from trying to do something whilst you're in your own way. Struggle comes from trying to do something because you're thinking about it or you're thinking about not doing it perhaps. I recollect a conversation that I had many years ago with a chief executive who told me that every three months he had to prepare his reports for his board as chief executives do and every three months he would know when he needed to start that particular preparation and had put it off. And after a few days putting it off, he'd get frustrated with himself. Then he'd feel a bit guilty about putting it off. So he would put all the papers that he needed to prepare his board report in his briefcase, bring them home in the evening with the intention of doing it in the evening. In other words, working when he wasn't supposed to be working because he wasn't working when he was supposed to be working. He was thinking about it. And then, of course, he would be doubly frustrated because he would get in his car the following morning with an unopened briefcase. This would go on for three or four weeks every three months. Not only would he not do what he was supposed to do because he was thinking about it, he then started thinking about thinking about it, thinking about being annoyed with himself, thinking about being annoyed with himself and feeling guilty about being annoyed with himself, thinking about feeling guilty that he had not done what he knew he had to do. Now, it was always done in time, but think of the amount of energy he wasted. Think of the amount of time he wasted in that whole mad process of overthinking. Now that's kind of superficial overthinking because the real overthinking, as I said a few minutes ago, comes way deep down where we overthink about who we think we are. So as we said a minute ago, effort comes from thinking, struggle comes from thinking, and the big killer 
and I actually mean that literally, is stress comes from overthinking. We've talked before about how we make sense of what's going on moment to moment when we're using our minds normally. Or should I rephrase that sentence and say, we know from previous conversations how using our minds normally, we make complete and utter nonsense of what is going on in the here and now. We walk through our daily lives when we're using our minds normally, seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling and tasting a load of raw data which never gets processed because it gets caught in the trap of our own thoughts. Never mind the fact that we have a limited ability to process stuff anyway, which leads us to only process stuff that we expect. In other words, we miss all the unexpected stuff. And very often it is in the unexpected stuff of our everyday life that the opportunities are lurking. Instead, because we're only processing expected stuff, we process the threats. And anything that's going on around us, anything that we see, feel, hear, smell and taste, we put into a process known as cognitive appraisal whereby we apply the thoughts we've been carrying around with us since we were young and impressionable to what we're actually seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling and tasting, interpret them so that we can understand them, so that we can automatically react to them. In other words, everything is being done through a fog of thought. Now, that's the way we normally interpret what's going on. It gets worse when that initial stage of interpretation leads us to the conclusion that we might be under threat. Now, years ago, when we were hunter-gatherers, there were threats in our lives, real existential threats, like man or woman eating tigers, lions, bears, etc., etc., or perhaps the tribe next door, for that matter. But nowadays, the threats are not existential, but it doesn't change the way in which we interpret threat. So if you're going into work and looking at somebody who is bullying you every day, you interpret that as a threat. Let's stick with that one. That's a very good example because sadly, bullying in the workplace is more than prevalent. So you go into work in the morning or let me tell you about one of my clients with whom I worked a number of years ago who was working with a bully. Way before he would go into work in the morning, he would get up at about four o'clock in the morning, go to the bathroom, get physically sick and go back to bed and try to go asleep for the following couple of hours before he knew he had to get up to face the same terrible experience day in, day out. So he'd go into work obviously unprepared because now apart from anything else, he was physically tired and he would run the same routines as his normal thinking mind would run every day. At the mere sight of this guy, his mind would go into overdrive. His mind, having seen that other individual, would feel, deeply feel in the pit of the stomach, the upset that's caused by that sight through my client's flow of energy. In other words, when we do actually have a pain in our stomach or butterflies in our stomach, that's actually our energy being impeded and blocked. 
and going back in on itself and causing upset. That's why, for example, we know from many years of research at this stage that that kind of stress causes stomach ulcers. It, it causes the digestive system literally to shut down. And again, there's an evolutionary reason for that. 10 or 11,000 years ago, if we were confronted by a real threat, what use did we have for our digestive system when all we needed to do was run away and be safe? In other words, the stress response turns off the digestive system. It also, by the way, turns off the immune system. And that is why some of the people who were fretting over the weather here at Christmas probably got sick over Christmas. How often does it happen that people live their stressful everyday lives on adrenaline? And then they go on holidays for a couple of weeks and the adrenaline is switched off and suddenly their whole system breaks down because their immune system has been out of action for weeks, months or possibly years on end as a result of their everyday stress and they get sick. Might only be a cold. Has it happened to you? I think it's happened to everybody. Anyway, back to my friend going into work to be confronted, first of all, by the sight of this bully. Now that is all his cognitive appraisal system needed. Nothing else needed to happen. His cognitive appraisal system immediately went into overdrive. He realized, or he thought he realized, he was in a situation where he was under threat. Now that's because he was using thoughts that he had been using all his adult life from stuff that he had learned during his formative years, when he was probably bullied in the schoolyard. In other words, his cognitive appraisal system now is not seeing the bully in front of his eyes. His system is seeing the bully that was in front of his eyes when he took the psychological snapshot that branded him, that left such a deep impression on him when he was young and impressionable, so that he now knows how to behave in front of a bully in a way that will enable him make it back to bed tonight. Not in a way that he'll be able to deal with the bully, but only in a way that he will be able to muddle through the day. We need to pause here for the simple reason that I've just said something extraordinarily important. People think, God help them, that our brains are designed to enable us achieve our goals and objectives. At the start of every year, like we had a couple of weeks ago, people think that our brains are designed to enable us achieve our New Year's resolutions, that our brains are designed to enable us change. Wrong. Our brain, or should I say the normally structured brain as a result of evolution, is designed to ensure that we don't change, that we can't change, because hundreds or thousands of years ago, change was dangerous. Our brains are designed to ensure that we do not go out of our comfort zone, because the safety in our comfort zone, regardless of how uncomfortable that might be. Our brains are designed to enable us not achieve our goals and objectives, because they would amount to change, because at its most basic level, the human brain that evolution gave us is designed to enable us muddle through the day and rise to the challenge of an existential threat. That's all. Full 
stop. So when my friend would see the bully, that was enough to send him into orbit. He would think he knew what he was looking at. He would replay the same old patterned thoughts in relation to evaluating what he was looking at. And here comes the point that I made earlier on, that at its most basic level, when we're annoyed and frustrated, it's ourselves with whom we are annoyed and frustrated. The second step of what is known as two-step cognitive appraisal that leads to the triggering of the stress response is, having evaluated what I think is going on as a threat, I then ask myself, am I up to it? And I don't answer that question on the basis of what's going on now. I answer that question on the basis of the fact that I wasn't up to it when I was three years old. It's all mad. It's all automatic. It is all built into us. And that is where the effort of everyday life comes from. We're trying to survive through a fog of thought. We're trying to change our lives against the tide of the way in which the normal mind stops us from changing anything in our lives or any aspect of our lives. That's where the struggle comes from. That's where the effort comes from. That's where the stress comes from. And stress will kill you. Just think about what I said a minute ago, the digestive system, the immune system, and what stress does to those systems. And I never even mentioned the cardiovascular system, because once I trigger the stress response automatically, once my brain releases cortisol, the stress neurotransmitter into my system, my heart rate goes up, my blood pressure goes up, and the production of LDL, bad fatty cholesterol in my cardiovascular system goes up. That was okay 7,000 years ago if it only happened once or twice in a lifetime because I was confronted by something that presented me with an existential threat. But if I'm doing that to myself every day, I'm killing myself. I'm shortening my life. You'd be better off smoking 40 cigarettes a day. That was a tongue-in-cheek remark. Don't go there, obviously. And yet... 96% of people use their minds this way. And yet, 72% of people say they suffer from stress in the workplace. In other words, they are fretting about something over which they have no control. My friend couldn't control the bully. All he could control was his own state of mind. Once he realized that, and once he took control of his state of mind, he could, as we said earlier on, influence everything that was going on around him, including influencing the bully. How do you get rid of a bully? You ignore them and they'll go away. I'm deadly serious about that. Because what is a bully looking for? He's not looking, or she is not looking, to impose themselves on you. The bully is looking for your energy. Because the bully, with his own or her own conceptual self, feeling that there is some big black hole in the middle of their being, is looking for other people's energy. There is actually technology that shows that a bully is actually sucking energy from his or her victim. 
it's beyond the scope of what we're talking about here today, but if you're interested in it, Google Curlian Photography. I think that's spelled K-Y-R-L-I-N. It's a long time since I looked at it. Curlian Photography and Curlian Videography. Never mind the science. The point I'm making is that a bully will either move on to somebody else if you stop giving them your energy or allowing them to take your energy, or as a result of your energy and your presence changing the dynamic of events in the moment, the bully may stop bullying. I've seen it happen. Other people have seen it happen. Now, I've picked on the couple of examples in this episode, the one with my friend making the presentation effortlessly, and my friend who was suffering under the thumb of a bully, because they illustrate a really important point that I want to make today. When I say to people that, you know, you can live your life effortlessly, they laugh at me because all of their lives they have been struggling or they have been stressed or they have been frustrated or annoyed with themselves or feeling guilty about themselves. All of their life they have been trying to do what they need to do through the fog of overthinking or worse they have been trying to do what they think they have to do as a result of overthinking. So in other words, overthinking is coming at you from all directions. I think I need to do this today. Really? I've looked at people's to-do lists. I've worked with people who had to-do lists and said to them, that's a stick with which you beat yourself. And half the stuff on that to-do list shouldn't be there. I've worked with people and I've said to them, before you go to bed tonight, ask yourself, what's the next most important thing you need to do? Just as your head hits the pillow. And the following day, they will get up and do something that wasn't on their to-do list at all because it felt right. And not only did it turn out that that was the most important thing they needed to do that day, half the stuff on the to-do list that they thought they had to do that day looked after itself without them doing anything. What was the difference? They'd taken control of their state of mind and they had put their clearer state of mind to work. Once we do that, we are only doing what we need to do and no more. Once we are doing that, we are freeing up ourselves. We're getting out of our own way. So once we do that, our bodies and our energetic system do become a vessel through which our pure actions are achieved. Once we do that, all struggle, all stress, and all effort fades away into the nothingness that it is, in fact. Once we do that, we do what we need to do, moment to moment, in the right way, at the right time, to get to where we want to go. And we do it effortlessly because we're just doing what feels right. How do you get there? Well, everything starts with meditation. By that, for starters, I mean, every day starts with meditation. What does meditation do? It gives you a brain that is shaped differently from the brain that evolution gave you. It gives you a brain that is restructured as a result of meditation so that the thoughts that lead to overthinking are precluded from getting in your way during the course of the day. 
But as I said a minute ago, in relation to my friends who would ask themselves before they go to bed at night, what's the next most important thing they need to do? And then the following day, they'd feel it and they'd just do it. They are putting their clearer minds to work. We do that by knowing the direction in which we want, for starters, our day to go. I was going to say our lives to go, but that frightens the living daylights out of a lot of people. But what about just considering how you want your day to go today? And without going into any of the details of how you want your day to go today, surely you want to enjoy yourself. Surely you don't want to be stressed. Surely you want to do things effortlessly. Surely you want to have things fall into your lap. Surely you want your day to run smoothly. This is all in your own hands, regardless of who is around you or what is going on around you. Because once you take charge of your own state of mind, once you control the one thing over which you have absolute control, the only thing over which you have absolute control, you greatly influence everything else. This is all in your own hands. You've been listening to to succeed, just let go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called, To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-horton.com.